0: you that keeps you kind of at arm's length from the cross, not because you want to be but there's some things that have hindered you and uh, we're going to remove them before we're done today. Amen. Is that alright? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So don't lose hope, just hang in there. Right. We're not done yet. I want to thank everybody that put so much time and work into the uh, 25th anniversary celebration for us last night there 's just no way i it was supposed to be a surprise to me, and they had to tell me so i 'd come <laughs> and, uh, or at least so I would dress properly and be ready for it in some degree but so I really don 't know who did what I just saw an awful lot of activity, and I have my suspicions on a few master servants in the body that would do these things for me and for us. And I want to thank you in front of everybody. You deserve a lot of credit for the hard work. And it's always a big deal to make a major event happen the way it did last night. <clears throat> I think one of the, probably the best decisions, if it was in fact a decision that was made about last night, is that I, I was not allowed to say anything. <laughs> and I really appreciate that decision. I I, uh, I did have a pocket full of notes. Just in case. But uh, your kindness, your generosity, and oh, this is a reminder to please put your phones on vibrate. <laughs> um, your generosity to us has been extreme once again. And uh, it was a humbling evening. It would be easy to get puffed up and say, oh gee, look what we did. But, you know, we we made it through those 25 years just like some of you did. Mm-hmm. Nip and tuck and a lot of work and hanging on to the hem of the garment and asking constantly for His grace to uphold us and strengthen us together. So, we're blessed. We're blessed to be here and we're not leaving. Amen? Amen. 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 Mark chapter 16. If you're wanting to join us in the scriptures this morning. You know what? there was this moment when I thought I would need to thank a number of people and I realized that the best thing I could do would be to thank those who were already passed away who helped us get to 25 years uh, because if I began to try and thank all those who are still alive I'd leave somebody out but I, I would like to just say that Louis Ludwig Weiss is the founding pastor of this church and uh, he passed away very early in life in 1973, he was about 50, 50 years old, 50 in five days. And I just learned, I got a call from his son, Chuck, uh, who lives in Florida, down in Orlando, to tell me that um, Sister Lorraine Weiss just went to be with the Lord this month, this last month. In fact, her funeral was just a couple of weeks ago, and I wish I could have been there for that in orlando so the founders of this church have, are with jesus both of them together and celebrating uh, one of their sons lives in orlando the other one's right out here in phalen and uh, so the church goes on all these years after that founding in 1964 1965 and we're part of a big family aren't we <coughs> connected and and uh, extending through the generations and glad to be here glad to be it's a great to see wall to wall here this morning i guess i should cancel that saturday night service pack them in Sunday morning. No. Anyway, some of your guests this morning, you've come with your friends, and it's really good to know you have some. <laughs> you might want to turn and thank them for bringing you along this morning. If I seem lost a little bit, I might be. It seems to be coming a late earmark of mine. But uh, I'm actually preaching from the chronological Bible. Which means everything is not in the regular order. So I have to have page numbers to find things. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And... We might just take note. I like to do the chronology. I like to see the picture as it unfolds. Is that alright? Um, I see the crucifixion occurring, the burial you know, in the tomb, and let's get it all done because it's the day of preparation for the Sabbath. I know that to be Friday. Joseph, the rich man who's part of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, who the Bible records for us did not agree with the decision that was made to crucify Jesus. Yet he was part of the Jewish leadership that made that decision as a group. And he was a dissenting voter in that group. And I appreciate that about him, that he was a wealthy man, he was a well-to-do man, he was one of the spiritual leaders of Israel. And yet he said, I'm not in favor of this. And then after the crucifixion, he was the one that came and Almost in the same spirit of Peter, if you will, kind of impetuously. He said he came forcibly to Pilate. Now here's a a Jewish leader coming to the ruler who had just condemned Jesus to die, of course. And he says, give me his body. It's almost sundown and we need to make sure that he's in the tomb before the day of preparation ends and the Sabbath starts. And Pilate's surprised that Jesus is already dead. Because crucifixions generally take much longer for a person to pass. And so he grabs one of the soldiers and says, Go get the information. Check that out. Uh, we want to make sure that he's really dead. We don't want him slipping him off the cross while he's still alive. Maybe resurrect him in that, that regard, which Jesus would not have had anyway. Because he was there hanging there for you. The soldier comes back and says, Sure enough, he's uh, he's dead. So the body is granted to Joseph. and says, Nearby. Where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden tomb that had never been used. and So they took him and wrapped him as they could and prepared him immediately. Imagine this, with the 75 pounds of ointments and fragrance. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's more than some of our young people weigh today. Amen? And so they wrapped Jesus and took him into this borrowed tomb and laid him. It wasn't his by designation, but it was his by lordship. And they laid him there and rolled the massive stone over the door and then said, hurry, let's go. Let's get home. The Sabbath is beginning. And so it says they rested on the Sabbath, which is what the Sabbath is for, that being Saturday. I'm not sure how much rest anybody really got. Have you ever grieved the loss of a close loved one? you know that there's not much rest that really comes. And even now when I think of them on that day trying to rest, how hard it must have been. And the ladies were just so anxious about the next day, waiting for the first day of the week. That The Bible says for us that when the Sabbath ended, which means then the sun was going down on that Saturday evening, It says, then at that moment, because they were able to, quote, work now, the Sabbath being ended, they went out and got all the spices they needed in order to anoint Jesus' body more properly and more fully as soon as they could. So the ladies went shopping. Well, well, let's get real. They went shopping at sundown. The mall. You getting this? No. (laughs) No, they weren't mauling. They were shopping. And they got everything ready. And then we come to this passage. Sabbath was over. Mary Magdalene, Mary and Mother of James and Siloam bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise they were on their way to the tomb I often wonder about this and I I try to think these things through further than they're just stated and then try and amplify it to some degree for you at times that's amplification (laughs) although I'm not amplifying it why do we have sunrise services anyway? Yeah, I had about 120 people out this morning at 6.30 to 7.30 at Pine Summit to celebrate together, and that was that was great. It was good to be there. But I often think there was no sunrise service here. It was just these two gals. Everybody else was snoozing, sleeping in. I think I'm going to volunteer for that part next, next year. Should I stand somewhere else? No, okay. Stand on my head. That would be interesting. They were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, evidently neither one of these ladies is a beaver or an analytic person. Because who's going to roll the stone away? They had a whole day to think about that. And they went shopping. They never brought it up once that we're getting all ready. We're going to go do this project. But oops, how are we going to get in? I just think it's a marvelous oversight. (laughs) Somebody like me would have had a plan for that, right? You'd have had it all lined out. So, I mean, who would have had it planned out? You'd have had an outline and, you know, you'd have had a fulcrum and a lever or something or you'd have recruited. But they're all ready. they got the stuff. They've been shopping. This, this is their moment. They've waited all the Sabbath to do this and they're on their way and they don't really have a plan. Like we do, right? <laughs> you do it, don't you? You do it. Just Jackie. Are we on? okay? It's a good thing this isn't video service. <laughs> Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. I like these seven words that come next. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples... And Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I'm going to park on Peter today, if that's all right with you. And I feel like it was very much confirmed to me, even in the worship service, this first verse of this song at the cross we sang this morning, O oh Lord, you've searched me. You know my way. Even when I fail you, I know you love me. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Wasn't Peter a disciple? Why was it said that way by an angel from heaven who only says what they're supposed to say under mandate from the Heavenly Father. I don't know, we have different records of it in the different Gospels, but this one stands out to me and the, the story bears out. Go tell my disciples and Peter. We've got a few Peters in the room today, I'm sure. And it's you that I'm concerned about because your personality and maybe some of ours who are not so much like Peter are bearing the same injury, that there's been a place of failure in our lives that keeps us at arm's length from really that holy surrendered part that we just talked about earlier. We need to be able to close the gap between our failure and the answer. Go tell the disciples... And maybe my emphasis is incorrect, but I'll say it this way. Go tell the disciples and be sure that Peter hears that I wanted him to know. Amen. Josh was trying to help me again. John chapter 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. This is John's gospel. This is how he relates it to us. John was on the receiving end. Of the ladies who went to the tomb. With Peter. He was back at the house. He was back at wherever they were. And the ladies had gone and had this experience. With the angel and the directive. To go and tell the disciples. And there he's on the receiving end. As he's capturing his gospel here. And this is what he hears. He sees the ladies come running. I mean, they're worked up. They were trembling and afraid when they left the tomb. Who knows where the spices are by now? Have you thought about it? Are they still carrying them? Did they drop them on the floor in the tomb? uh, The outside, who knows where they're at? But they're certainly not concerned with those today, at this point. They've taken them. We don't know where they've put them. All we know is he's not in there. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. From my understanding, Peter was a pretty husky guy. Probably not a jogger. Not as, you know, as a fisherman. You guys, how many of you fish? None of you are jogging while you're fishing, right? He's sitting still and eating donuts and stuff. And <laughs> drinking coffee and gaining a few pounds, waiting on that fish to get on the line. Peter was a different kind of fisherman, but I'm making fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> John and Peter run into the tomb. Peter's chugging. John outruns him. When John gets there, this version, uh, his gospel says he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, (laughs) it's like he wanted to say it again, just wanted you to know he was behind me, arrived and went right in. Now there's Peter. We know Peter the impetuous one, Peter the forceful one, Peter the one that, you know when it said time to pull swords and cut off ears and... And uh, get in somebody's face, and he would even tell Jesus, Don't wash my feet. You can't do that to me today. He was was strong, but at times he resisted in the wrong places. Kind of like some of us. We have opportunity to be so close to Jesus, and yet we're saying, No, I need to do it my way. I know you want to do it your way, but I need to be in charge. Boy, that was fun for me last night. I was not in charge. And if I can share a little out of school, Peggy said, these days are not good for you, these kind of days, because you're not in charge. And you are walking all over and drifting, and you don't know what to do with yourself. And he says, these are not good days for you. I said, you're all right. I'm used to doing something. But Peter resisted Jesus numerous times not that he didn't want to be in league or in tandem with Jesus, but because he always thought he kind of had a better thing going on. It was his makeup. Hmm. He runs right in into the tomb verse 6 he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head the cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside he saw and believed now there's a parenthesis here that says they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead and i i'm going to lift this up for a moment and say the writer is putting the parentheses on his own message. He says he says if if you heard it in the first person he'd say and then I went in. Peter went in ahead of me. I outran him. Peter went in ahead of me and then I went in and I looked and I got it. Some of us just get revelation quicker than others and sometimes there's a, a witness of the spirit that comes for people that just grasp the things of God before you understand them. Follow? I mean, there's just something that you're convinced and you know what you know. As they used to say, we know it in our knower. And it's down there deep. And somebody says, explain it. And you go, I can't explain it. I just know it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when my mom would confront me at the door when I'd come home after being out half the night. I'd say, how did you know? She said, I just knew. I remember coming in one morning at 7.15. Think, hopped right in bed, thinking she wouldn't be up till eight. Wouldn't even know I'd been out all night. I mean to tell you, at eight thirty, she was standing next to my bed. She said, "You're going to get up now." And I was thinking, "Oh, I just went to bed, kind of half hungover and what have you." And then later on, she sent me out to the desert that day to make my little brother ride motorcycles in the dirt all day in the heat, and it was horrible. And it was just this I couldn't acknowledge. Right. She had me. I got home. We talked about it years later. She said, I just knew that you were out all night. I said, well, you know how to make me pay. But you just know it inside. And some some of you grasp it really quick. And there are others of us. It's a little more like Peter. You know, it's harder. Disciples went back to their homes. In fact, in Luke, I'm going to add this from Luke, chapter 24, verse 12. It says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Two guys, been hanging with Jesus for three years. Very different personalities, very different makeups. They're both running for the same reason. They both get to the same place. They both go in and look, and one gets it, and the other one goes away wondering what happened. Why is that? Let me submit this to you this morning for your Bible study perusal. Peter was the one of whom we find after Jesus is arrested. Peter had looked, you know, the impetuous one, that personality, that driven man said, I'll never forsake you. Jesus said, really, Peter? You know, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm sure right then, Peter inside himself was saying, that is not going to happen. I'll show you. Anybody seeing a mirror yet? John didn't have that issue to deal with at the tomb. John was looking for truth. John was the one that Jesus leaned over in the dinner and as he relates to himself says the one that Jesus loved. He never states it as himself. He just says the disciple that Jesus loved. The one on whom he laid his head. So when John gets there and there's no Jesus, he understands. Not entirely, but the revelation, I believe, comes to him and says, and he believed. But Peter's got something that's holding him at arm's length from his Savior. He's got a failure. He's got a failure in his life that is holding him away. He knows that the last event he spent with Jesus was there in that early morning hour, When the third time somebody said, you are with him, your speech betrays you. The way you talk tells us you're one of his. And Peter riles up on the third time and using an old King James word vehemently says, I don't know that man. (coughs) The cock crows. He remembers what... Jesus said, "He the Bible says, they catch eyes. Jesus looks at him in the moment. What a chasm between two sets of eyes. Not for Jesus, but for Peter. That distance now looks like it's too far to cross. And have you ever failed Christ to the point where you thought that same chasm existed? He thought, I'll never be able to recover this. I'll never be able to reach across this divide I've made. I'll never know the love of God like I used to. This is just probably too much for Jesus to handle. I I, I just drifted too far. You're not too far. The song again comes to mind, Lord, you've searched me, you know my way. Even when I fail you, I know you love me. Peter's trying to get across that. John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus again appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. John's writing. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. I always wish I could get the... How he said it. I'm going out to fish. I'm going out to fish. How did he say this? I'm going out to fish. I'm going to go back to what I've always known. I don't know what else to do right now. He's appeared twice before this, but Peter's still shaken. He's still got a divide. He's still got a distance in his heart. He doesn't want it, but he doesn't know what to do with it. And like you and I, when we stray or when we fail or when we separate ourselves from the love of God, the Bible says, What will separate me from the love of God? Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God? And it goes on to list a number of things that says, Not even life. It's included. Not life or death. Not principality or power. You know what I'm talking about? Uh huh. And so when it says, Not even life can separate me, that means not even the way you live. It's easy to say, gee, when I die, I won't be separated from Christ. But what about why you're living? Not even life, not even living can separate me from his love. But Peter is in the living moment. Peter's in the alive moment. And he feels like there's a separation between he and Christ. He's with the other disciples. and They're talking about perhaps discussing how Jesus has appeared a couple of times. But Peter does not feel the closeness yet of being separated from Jesus and from his last, I don't know him. And we have to appreciate Peter because the Bible says when he said, I don't know him the third time in the cock crow and they caught eyes with Jesus says he went out and wept bitterly. Now, if you've ever wept bitterly, according to what the scriptures definition of that be, you know, you had a cry. I mean, it comes from the inside of you. It is convulsing. It'll put you on the ground. I've been there a couple of times in my life. And there are moments when you can't even catch your breath. It's so Pulls everything out of who you are. I mean, you are empty of yourself in those moments. And it may be for grief. It may be for loss. It may be for, in this case, failure. Where it wretches it up from inside of you. And Peter went out and had that kind of a cry. And in this moment, he says, I don't really know what to do. So I'm going to fall back and do what I've always known to do. I'm just going to go fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. Good friends. Good friends. We'll go with you. Peter, you're probably dangerous out there by yourself. The condition you're in, you could get hurt. You might even drown yourself. And we're not going to allow that to happen. You might have been so deeply grieving, still obvious to his friends, that they weren't going to let him be alone. We could look at it another way, and this might be the case for you, that when you've set that divide between you and Christ, you've put a distance between you and him for whatever failure it's been, the enemy will tempt us to go back to what we always used to do. I might as well just give up. I may as well just go back. I might as well just live the life I used to live, because there's no hope for me. And the enemy will say, yeah, come on, bury yourself. Go ahead. You deserve it. You should go back. You should give yourself to all the old stuff you used to do. You used to like that stuff. And you would say in wrestling in your mind, but it's not fulfilling. I know it's not. I need to serve Jesus. Oh, just go ahead and surrender. Why don't you give up? I think suicidal thoughts become uh, apparent to moments like that. Let me just take your life. You are lousy. No good ever again will ever be. Forget it. Get a, go ahead. Move on. Fishing's not that bad of an event. I mean, I don't see fishing as simple, do you guys? <laughs> Even with the coffee and the donut, right? I mean, it's not simple. I'm going fishing. We'll go with you. So they went out, and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Oh! There are messages in every sentence. You go back to the old life, you go back to what you used to do, you go back to do the stuff that used to be appealing, and you catch nothing. There's no value in it. There's no pleasure. There's no fulfillment. There's no, there's nothing. It's empty. In this case, it's apparent because there's no fish. They caught nothing. You go back to the old life, that's what you'll catch. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, (laughs) haven't you any fish? I love these pictures of the Bible. No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, they're still hanging out together. They jogged together. Now they're fishing. This looks like a good relationship to me. Simon, uh, the one whom Jesus said said to Peter, it's the Lord. (laughs) John already believed. Right, he was already there. He already had the revelation. He's alive. Jesus is alive. By the way, on a Sunday morning like this, an Easter Sunday morning, I'm coming from a, uh, a an assumption, and that is that the resurrection is real. Yeah. It's already happened. Right. It's history, and you're not going to disprove it. Right. So I'm right, and if you don't think it happened, or if somebody in the world doesn't think it happens, they are entitled to be absolutely wrong. <laughs> because this is something we just assure ourselves of every time we have these services it happened right. and it's real it's the Lord John's just tickled inside because this is probably the same moment he felt when he stuck his head in the tomb and went oh yeah of course he's not here of course he's not Peter's shaking his head all the way home I don't, I don't, what is going on As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, about a hundred yards. But Peter is covering the hundred yards wet. I don't know if he was swimming with his clothes on or if he was shallow enough to walk. I don't think it would have been shallow enough if they were catching fish to that, that account. But all of this stuff that's happening is miraculous, so... Maybe, maybe he started out walking. He did it before, right? I'll well, just walk over there. No, we know that's not true. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it, which they didn't have any earlier. He had some. How did he get his fish? We've been out here all night. We didn't get any until he told us how to get them. And anyway, he's already got a barbecue going. There's some bread here. And... Uh, Jesus invites them, why don't you bring some of the fish you've just caught? (laughs) I I love reading this stuff because I like to live through it. In Mark 16, we read last week where Jesus rebuked the disciples for not believing. When people told them, he's alive from the dead. And they said, ah, it's foolishness. And they didn't believe. And Jesus, on one occasion, rebukes them. And the word rebuke, if you were here last week, you heard me try and define it desperately, uh, means that there was almost some sarcasm in his voice. Having a little trouble believing this are you boys? And and he he said, come on, where's your faith? We've been all over this. How many times? We broke the bread, fed the thousands, we healed the sick. Come on, can't you guys get up to speed here? And Jesus had a way of prodding. These were his friends. And he's, he's poking them and he's, He's, uh, you know, he's, he's making, he's provoking them. The actual word for rebukes, as he was provoking, like the two schoolyard kids pushing on each other's chests and trying to get something going. And so here I, I see this. Why don't you guys bring some of the fish you just, you just caught? <laughs> I mean, uh, how'd you catch those fish anyway, boys? Yeah, just want you to remember. It was the guy you didn't know on the beach who said, throw your net on the other side. We've been here before too. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast, which is what you do after a sunrise service. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord kind of an interesting predicament it's him but we shouldn't ask or should we how are we certain do we know <laughs> looks like him barbecue fish net it's pretty apparent wow is this happening mm-hmm. or could you put yourself there and go is this happening to us we're having a barbecue breakfast with jesus on the beach i kind of like the lifestyle so far fishing barbecue on the beach Hanging out, friends, jogging. Sounds like something I could do. A little less of the jogging part probably. But <laughs> Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now before we go on, let's just put a point in here. When they had finished eating, can you see the mercies and the kindness of Jesus. He had breakfast ready for them. They'd been out there all night fishing. They didn't take anything with them. They didn't catch any fish. They didn't have anything to eat. They were hungry. Fishing all night. And Jesus had already been the Starbucks and OJ's or wherever you go in the morning. Picked everything up, had it all ready for them, fed them, and got them fed. There's actually therapy in here. When you get hard on yourself and you find your failure creeping up in front of you and keeping you from Jesus, maybe you ought to just relax a minute. Maybe you ought to get something to eat. Maybe you ought to get a little rest. We could go to Elijah and talk about his process. It was very much the same. You need to be restored. And Jesus was willing to help restore them physically before he begins to minister to them spiritually. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And maybe this morning as you were singing this song, the question came to you, do you love Jesus? And you, like Peter, said, well, yeah, I do. I'm here, it's Easter, I'm at church. I'm doing what I can, but you still feel like you're this far away. You're just out of reach maybe due to some failure of yours that you perceive as larger than what God can handle. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Maybe this was the moment for you this morning when Jaden was trying to tell you, you know what, let's sing this again and let's talk about being wholly surrendered. Let's see ourselves at the foot of the cross broken, as the song said, broken there at the foot of the cross, and let's see Jesus come and take the brokenness of our lives and put us back together at the foot of the cross because there's no place else in all of history that that's going to happen for you or for anyone. Everybody that is broken, that wants to be made whole, must come to the cross. You have to. I didn't make it up. It's not my rules. I've experienced it and a lot of us have. We've come to the cross and we realize that when we fall down there at the feet of Jesus, in our brokenness, and we finally confess, it's so broken, I can't fix it. Even in my strong spirit, even in my strong will, and my ability to do everything else, it's so exciting when I hear of a very accomplished person in life. Somebody, maybe we've read about them in the papers and we've heard about them on the radio and TV and they're all over the internet and they're somebody that the whole world looks up to. They've got it all, as we might say, and yet they have to come to the same cross as everyone else. And when they do, it's such a delight to have them stand up and talk about how in their apparent having of everything, they were absolutely broken and lost without Christ. Christ. And there at the foot of the cross in their brokenness, he pieced them back together as a person and said, I am the only one who can make you whole. And then they start doing like Zacchaeus. Stands up after lunch that day with Jesus and says, if I've wronged any man, I'm going to pay him back times four and I give half of everything I've got to the poor. And you see a life transformation that comes to a person who experiences the wholeness of Christ. Now the only thing that matters is him. And all the stuff I've got is not mine. And I can just begin to give it away to the poor. Let me me have the heart of God in my wholeness and begin to minister to the world with whatever I have. And even if you don't have a lot of stuff that the world offers, you see lives transformed to the point in the Bible to where every disciple, every apostle was martyred for Jesus. And in the same context, Christ says to you and I, unless you're willing to give up everything, you really can't be my disciple. And so we alone, with whatever little we have or whatever lot we have, all come in our brokenness and say, Jesus, can you repair this? Can you fix this? He's the only one that can repair broken hearts. Do you truly love me? Lord, I do, and I I hear Jaden singing. I hear the worship team singing. I, I want you to know that I really do love you. But there's this issue in my life. You told me I would deny you, and I said I never would, and then I did. Is there a place back for me? Is there a spot? even a little one in your kingdom where I could be acceptable to you in some way. Maybe it wouldn't even ask for everything, just a little corner of my life could be redeemed again. I'd be happy with that. That would be enough. And then Jesus goes on. After he's been told to take care of his sheep the third time, verse 17, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I don't imagine there was any distractions in this moment. And if we had time today and I could stop and look into every set of eyes individually, and I'm trying, and so if I'm looking at yours, it's because it's on purpose. Can you imagine Jesus locking eyes again with Peter? Peter? Last time they locked eyes, it was right after he had said, I don't know him. For the third time. And Jesus locked on like radar onto Peter and said, Peter, I'm asking you this question. Do you love me? I want you to hear that question this morning, individually. We can throw it out corporately and hope it lands somewhere, but can you hear it personally, individually? Are your eyes locked on Jesus right now as he says to you, Do you love me? That's the benchmark test in this moment of great divide, of huge chasm between you and God. This is the benchmark test. Look me in the eyes and tell me, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Which Jesus says, feed my sheep. I'm putting you in charge of the church. I'm putting you in charge of the body. I'm giving you a directive to feed my sheep. I've done it these three times. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And I don't think we need to dissect that any further than to understand that Jesus was saying, I, you denied me, and this is not new to me by any means, not from me. I've heard it before before. Peter denied three times. Jesus restored three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. (coughs) Eyeball to eyeball. Do, Peter, look at me. I need to know. You need to know. Have you ever figured it out that God doesn't ask us questions because he doesn't know the answer? (laughs) He already knew the answer. He needed Peter to know the answer. Peter, do you love me? I'm a little hurt by the question. Imagine this big, bulky, slow-jogging fisherman. Hurt by the question. Why is he hurt by the question? Because he wants so much to be on the other side of that divide. And he can't get there. And all I can say is, you know. You know everything. You're God. This is the same Peter that said, well, who do men say do I am? Some say you're this and that. Peter says, no, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one. And somehow I got this thing between you and me that I can't fix. No matter how strong and how bold and how courageous I am and no matter how much I want to be a leader and I want to be in charge of even the things you've said to me. And I've taken control of my life back from you so many times, I just don't know if this can ever be restored. And he says, hey, Peter, take care of my sheep for me. Feed the sheep. You can do it. I'm making it so today for you. This concludes our business. We're restored. You denied me three times. I brought you back three times right here with the brothers. And he says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, and may you hear the same words today. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus can close the gap. In your failure, His grace is sufficient for you. His power is greater than your sin. And as Christians, yes, we sin. Uh huh. Remember, old, I used to make these buttons that had a whole bunch of letters on it, and it was the first letter of every word that you would wear around, it, and it stood for something like, please be patient with me, God isn't finished with me yet, or something. And people would ask, what does that mean? And you'd tell them, it was a witnessing. So there's a truth in there. Be patient with me. God's not done yet. We're just Christians. We're saved. We're going to heaven, and we fail. That's why there's a 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible for us, that if any man sins, and he confesses his sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, he's made, he's, some people say he's the God of the second chance. I, I don't know. I've had about a thousand million second chances. Amen. <laughs> they always feel like the second chance, but Peter is right here for us today in this resurrection story. Giving us this good news once again that there is no chasm that you can make that is greater than God can reach across. Amen. If you'll let him. If you'll quit holding up and pushing out and going fishing, take it in the illustration. Quit running back to the old ways. Quit getting caught up in the compulsive cycle of sin. Quit giving over to the world what belongs to Jesus now. Make an understanding with yourself that your whole body, soul, and spirit belongs to Him. And He would look you in the eye and say to you, Do you love me? And you and I, wouldn't we, we would be rapid to respond and say, Lord, you know everything, and yes, I love you. Teach me how to love you the way you love me. And let me be one of those that cares for your sheep. Let me be an active part of the body of Christ that helps others and ministers to others and becomes the hands and the feet and the words and the love of Jesus to somebody else. Let me now having been restored in the chasm of my life, help others get across the great divide in theirs. We have a cause that we live for. And that's to tell others the good news. There is a cross that lays between the two side walls of the greatest canyon of life that keeps you from God. It's you got to come to Jesus through the cross. So let me ask again, are we, are we wholly surrendered? Let me capitalize on the worship. Can we say, Lord, you've searched me. You know my way, even when I fail you. I know you love me. At the cross I bow my knee where your blood was shed for me. There's no greater love than this. You have overcome the grave. Your glory fills the highest place. What can separate me now? You tore the veil. You made a way. When you said that, what did he say? It is done. Hallelujah. It is done and it's not up to me to make it happen. No matter what personality type you are, it's not up to you to make it happen. It's up to you to just surrender. It's up to me to surrender. It's up to me to say, Jesus, I can't fix this one. This one's bigger than me. This one's wiped me out over and over and over. It's not sloppy grace we're talking about here. We're not abusers of grace. We don't say, well, God will always forgive me, so I'll just go fishing and... Whatever your fishing is, you know what I'm talking about. Whatever you're straying, whatever you're running back to. Instead of running to the cross, we run away from the cross. And the enemy comes to condemn us and push us along. But the Holy Spirit would come to us today and often by His ability to convict our hearts and say, what you've done is creating a distance between you and your Heavenly Father. Let's go talk to Him. And He grabs us by the heart and He pulls us back. He convicts us to run to the cross, not run away from it. And there at the foot of the cross, we find ourselves regularly broken again. And he repairs us. He knits us back together. And he says, do you love me today? Today's a new day. Today's going to be different for you. I'm going to give you a victory over that thing. I'm going to empower you to live upright. And if you fail, I'll be right there for you. I'm not counting on you to fail. I just know you're human. It's going to happen. Don't run when it happens. Run to, not from. Father, this morning I ask you in all of your great ability to close the gap. For some of our Peters here this morning Lord, they sang, you, as we've seen, you know everything. You know our hearts. You know the travel that we were able to make when we were singing. We heard the words. We Repeated them. We tried our best on the tune. But our heart was saying we're still at a distance. You've asked us now these three times again this morning. Do we love you? And I believe, Lord, I'm speaking on behalf of many in this room. And you can certainly say it to them yourself. Lord, I love you. You've asked us and I'm answering. Yes, Lord, we love you. We love you and we don't want the divide to be there any longer. If I'm talking to you this morning, I want you to confess to him right now your sin. Tell him what it is, put a name on it, whisper it to him. Nobody else needs to know. He already knows, but he needs you, like Peter, to understand where it happened. Holy Spirit, reveal it to us and help us right now to be strong enough to confess confess our sin before you. And say, Lord, it was this. It was in this moment. It was in this action. It was in this series of thoughts. It was in my reluctance that I went fishing. I went back to what I knew. Because I didn't think there was any hope. And I confess to you my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. Restore us now.